Well, in uh, 2010, 10 years ago, the University of Texas at San Antonio was beginning their football program under the coaching of Larry Coker, two-time national champion, and they needed a team chaplain. And at the time, I was a young adult and college pastor, and so they asked me to be the team chaplain for the UTSA uh, football team. I did that until 2016 when uh, the coach, Larry Coker, resigned and uh, they hired a new coach. And I don't know if you've ever been here before, but I began to pray saying, Lord, it seems like Coach Coker is gone and I really enjoy uh, ministering to the team and getting to know the coaches and players. And I began to pray and I was about to email the football operations director and say, hey, even with the new coach, I'd love to do chapel and be the chaplain still even though you have a new coach. And if you've ever been here before, sometimes the Holy Spirit says no. Have y'all been there before? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for free tickets. I'm not looking. I just really want to serve the team. And the Spirit said no. Two weeks later, I'm uh, enjoying lunch with a friend of mine. He, um, at the time, was a pastor over at First Baptist. His name is Malcolm Marshall. Some of, may, some of you may know him. He's a few years younger than me, and I've uh, been kind of mentoring him and kind of building a relationship with him. And he said, hey, um, I've been meaning to ask you this question. I said, what's the question? He said, for two years I've been praying to add to the Rockets chaplaincy team. And every time I prayed over the last two years, your name keeps coming up. And I said, wow. I said, what do you mean, wow? And I said, because the opportunity UTSA just closed, and I actually found out the new coach at UTSA stopped having chapel altogether. And so... Now God opens his door. And if, you probably know this, that sometimes in life, God closes the door just to open another one. Amen? Have y'all been there before where God closes the door and you're like, why did God close this great opportunity? And then God opens a new opportunity. So I prayed and talked to my wife and some accountability partners. And a week later, I accepted the opportunity to be a team chaplain the Houston Rockets. And that was in 2016. For those of you who are followers and fans of the Rockets, you know that something else happened in 2016. They hired a new coach, Mike D'Antoni who may not be the coach anymore after last night. <laughs> and the question they asked in 2016, I remember all the press conferences we went to, was this question. What's your vision for the team? You're the new coach. You've got this group of players. What's your vision for the team? And I think every leader, every CEO, every coach, every pastor, when they become leader or pastor or coach over an organization, gets asked that exact same question. And I think for me, uh, being here now two months, I uh, started July 13th, and today's September 13th. The question I get asked the most is, what's your vision for Bayou City Fellowship at Spring Branch? So today I want to share the vision for Bayou City Fellowship at Spring Branch. And here's some good news for those who uh, may be worried, is the vision for Bayou City Spring Branch is the same vision that Jesus had, I think that's good company, and the same vision that the Apostle Paul had, and I would say many of the Old Testament patriarchs had, and the New Testament patriarchs had. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4, and we will discover what is the vision for Bayou City Fellowship at Spring Branch. And it's, again, the same vision, purpose, driving force of Jesus and it is also the mission of the Apostle Paul, the vision of the Apostle Paul. Luke chapter 4, let me give you the context. Uh, Jesus has just gone about healing. He's also cast out demons. And before they could try to say, hey, your purpose, your vision is casting out demons and healing people, Jesus clarifies to his disciples and to us his vision. Verse 42. 
When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going from, away from them. Verse 43, but Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Verse 44, so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So here the text clearly tells us that the purpose, the vision of Jesus is the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that word kingdom occurs 126 times in the Gospels, and it's very explicit there in the Gospels. It only occurs 34 times in the rest of the epistles, and the reason why is because now it's implicit. Here's Christ who died, resurrected, and ascended, and it's a given now that he is the king. And the focus goes from his kingship to the synonymous term in the epistles of his lordship. Uh, write this down if you want. Uh, this is how the book of Acts ends. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. How did Paul spend the rest of his days? It tells us his vision was preaching the kingdom and teaching them about Jesus Christ. He says that's what he gave his life to. And so the vision for Bayou City Fellowship, Spring Branch, is the vision of Jesus and the vision of the Apostle Paul. And we'll find the Old Testament saints and even the New Testament saints is the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are saying, okay, what is this thing called the kingdom of God? We've all heard that term, kingdom of God or kingdom work. What does this term mean? Well, the Greek word for kingdom in Greek is basileia, basileia, from which we get the English word basil and basilica. The reason why we have this herb called basil is because uh, they would make cologne and perfume out of the herb basil for royalty, for kings and princes and queens. And so that's how the... Uh, herb basil got its name. It's the royal herb. I know what you're thinking. Alex, I'd like meaningless Bible facts for 500, please. Like, who cares about that, right? Basilica means a royal entry. So the term basileia means reign, rule, dominion, uh, uh, royalty, kingship. That's what the word basileia means. And that's why in Psalm 103, verse 19 says this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. It means to rule. That's what the kingdom is. Now God's kingdom that we talk about, his rule is eternal. Now this is not going to make sense to you because we're trapped in time and trapped in space. But imagine before time ever existed. There was a time when there was no time. There was a time when there was no place in material things, immaterial material. It was only God, that was it. And even then, when there was nothing to rule and reign over, God was still kingdom. And so maybe a better word rather than saying the kingdom of God is the rule of God or the reign of God. God was still ruling and reigning. He was still the big baller, shot caller, even when there was no time. Hard to imagine, right? But once time was established again and order and the world was established, he is still the ruler. And his kingdom is eternal. And here's the thing about his kingdom. Since it's eternal, spans outside of space and time, God's eternal kingdom will never be subject and submit to a temporal kingdom. What do I mean by that? God's kingdom is far greater both in time and scope than any temporary kingdom. And this is what I mean. No country will ever have God's kingdom on their side. The United States of America is not the kingdom of God. South Korea has 60% believers, but South Korea is not the kingdom of God. The Republican Party 
is not the kingdom of God. The Democratic Party is not the kingdom of God because God's eternal kingdom will never submit to a temporary kingdom because all other kingdoms are temporary. God's kingdom will never submit to the Aggie kingdom or the Longhorn kingdom because all those kingdoms and your kingdom and my kingdom are temporary kingdoms. How do I know that? Daniel says it this way. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He sees a statue with a head of gold, a body of silver, legs of bronze, and feet of clay and iron. And so then Nebuchadnezzar says, I, you know, he's interpreting a dream. A rock comes out of the mountain, and it's, the stone smashes that statue. And Daniel says, this is what the uh, dream means. The head is Babylon. The body of silver is Medo-Persian Empire. The legs are the Greek Empire. And the feet are the Roman Empire. And I would include democracy in this well, because it's the feet of iron and clay. And he says, there's going to be from this carved mountain a stone that's going to knock all those kingdoms over because that rock is an eternal kingdom. My spiritual mom is a uh, bowler, and this is how I'd like to illustrate it. She's a bowler. Every other kingdom in the world is temporary, and they're the pins in bowling. God's kingdom is the bowling ball. God's kingdom does not submit to any of the pins. Rather, the pins all submit to the bowling ball. And here's the thing about God and his kingdom. God only bowls perfect strikes. So what is the kingdom? It is God's rule. Why does he do it? Why does he do it? Why do we have the kingdom? Here's why. So God, before time existed, he was the ruler. He was reigning. He was the king. He was Lord. And then he said, you know what? I need some subjects in my kingdom who will submit to me. So he created angels. But this is what happened. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14 recorded as this, that Lucifer said, you know what? I'm tired of worshiping. I'm tired of submitting to the king. I want to be king. I want to run my life. And so he caused a coup and led a rebellion. A third of the angels fell with him. And so this is what happened. A rival kingdom was established. Here's God and his kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness was established. And God being God did this because this is why God uh, advances his kingdom. God does everything and allows everything for his glory. God is the only one who has a right to be a glory hound because he's a creator. He's the omnipotent one. He's the great one. He has a right to be a glory hound and he does everything for his glory. So this is what God does. God says, you know what? All right, angels, a third of y'all rebelled. And, and this is why I think a third rebel. This is my little theology footnote. Because for us, we're tripping a lot and wondering like, oh no, a third of the angels fell. They're demons and Satan's running around and stuff. There's still two thirds of the angels. And Hebrews 1 says that we have a guardian angel. They're the ones that watch over the saints. That there's still two thirds of the angels who have not fallen. So God still has a majority. And I think that's more comfort for us. But even if all the angels fell, because God is omnipotent, God will still have the majority. So here's what happens. A rival kingdom is established and God says, I'm going to create beings a little lower than angels. And those are us, humans. And he says, I'm going to do greater things with these lesser beings who are submitted to me than I could with these mighty angels. But this is what Satan does. Satan says, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Genesis chapter 3, he tempts Adam and Eve. What happens? Sin and rebellion enter our world. But then God says, I saw that coming. I, I know everything. And so what does he do? He creates covenants with kings and with David and sets up Israel. But ultimately what he does, he says, because these people are in rebellion to me, before I can have them submit to me, I need to have them be in relationship with me. So he sends Jesus Christ to redeem us. That's why he's established these kingdoms, because of the fact there's a rival kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, and we're in rebellion to him and Christ gave his life so that we can be in a relationship with God 
We can be redeemed and thus submitted to him. How does that happen? How does that happen? This is how it happens. It happens through something called the church. The church. The church is the visible manifestation of God's kingdom when we spiritually submit to Jesus Christ as our king. That's what the church is. The church is not a social club. The church is not an organization that does good works. It is a visible representation of this kingdom. It is men and women, boys and girls, who put their faith in Jesus, who said, Jesus Christ is my king. That's what the church is. People who spiritually submitted to the king. Now here's the thing. The good news, the gospel. The gospel is not just the good news that gets you to heaven. That's an incomplete gospel. The good news, the word gospel means this, good news of a new king. It was uttered when new kings would take over. Heralds would go out and talk about this new king. And that's what the gospel is. It is going to rebellious people who are in rebellion to God because of our sin and announcing that Jesus Christ is coming. If you will put your faith in him, you can now have authorized access to God. You can be in a relationship with him now through Jesus Christ. Let me try to paint this picture of what authorized access looks like. Uh, several years ago, um, as chaplain for the Rockets, I get to the games two hours early. So I get there two hours for tip-off. And what I do when I get there, I sit on the visitor side and I invite the players from the visiting team and the coaches from the visiting team to come to chapel. On this occasion, I got there two hours early and normally I get there, there's very, very few people there. There's only like usually security, few people showing up for work, but very few people. On this occasion, parking was crowded, traffic was bad, security was extra heavy, and I'm wondering what's going on? Why is it so bad on this occasion? I get to the court and I'm sitting there inviting the players and I look around and I see all these fans in the upper section already there. All these fans in the middle section, all these fans in the lower section that are already there two hours before tip-off. And I'm wondering, why are all these people here? And then I notice as I look around, people are wearing purple and gold. And it's because LeBron James is there. And everyone is there trying to get a glimpse of the king, King James. And so I'm there sitting courtside inviting the players. And everyone else is admiring the king from far. They're taking pictures and trying to take selfies and doing all stuff. Trying to get in contact with the king. But here's the thing that I have that no one else has. Is because I'm a chaplain, I have a badge, a pass that allows me authorized access to anywhere in the Toyota Center. I can go on the court. I can go in the locker room, visiting at home. I can go in the team dining room. I can go anywhere in the Toyota Center because I've got authorized access. And so everyone else is admiring the king from far, trying to take selfies, trying to take photos, and trying to get a glimpse of the king. But for me, I've got authorized access. So as LeBron James has finished warming up, I walk to center court, meet him at center court, shake his hand, and I say, hey, LeBron, I just want to invite you to chapel. We start one hour for tip-off, and the room is right over here. And he's like, hey, thanks for inviting me, man. And I begin to walk off the court with him. So here's what I have. Because I have authorized access, I can walk with a king. I can talk with a king, right? I can touch the king. And you know what? If you say, wow, that's awesome. You can do that. If you're a Christian today, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have authorized access. That's why Hebrews 4 says we can boldly enter the throne room of grace. You can touch the king. You can walk with the king. You can talk with the king. But here's the pathetic thing. So many Christians are content with admiring the king from afar. We're content with coming to Bayou City Fellowship on a Sunday and say, you know what? I saw the king from afar. I worshiped the king from afar. I think I even got a selfie with the king from afar. And we're content with admiring the king from afar, not realizing that God has given us authorized access. And how do we see that? One question is, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? 
How's your prayer life? Both the quantity of prayer, but especially the quality of prayer. And sadly, in the church in America, our prayer life is sad. We're content with admiring Jesus Christ from afar. We're content with saying at summer camp 20 years ago, I put my faith in Jesus. And that happened way, way long ago. Rather than saying, you know what? I walk with the king. I talk with the king. So we have authorized access. And that is the church. The last question is where? And this is where the kingdom of God is. Wherever Jesus Christ rules, there is the kingdom. Wherever Jesus Christ rules, there is the kingdom. So if Jesus is your king, he's your Lord, right where you are, your little space right here, that is the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus Christ said, the kingdom of God is within you. And again, we often think of the kingdom as a place, the United Kingdom, the Magic Kingdom, Wakanda. But the kingdom is not a place right now. The kingdom is a person, Jesus Christ. When you submit to the king, Jesus Christ, that's where the kingdom of God is. And here's the thing. When the kingdom of God uh, uh, transforms your life, you can transform your environment. Um, One day there will be a place. And that place is known as the millennial kingdom. For a thousand years, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to rule and reign in this world we live in. And some of us who are faithful will reign with him, will be authorized to reign with him. There's also the eternal kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. And here's the thing, rather than talking about this pie in the sky theology that doesn't affect our here and now, this is kingdom theology, is that you can enjoy kingdom blessings now. You don't have to wait to heaven or the millennial kingdom. You can enjoy kingdom blessings now. You can enjoy kingdom impact now if you will submit to Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate that. Um, My daughter is a type A overachiever, and she graduated college in three years. She graduated college in three years, and she played volleyball for all three years, D2 volleyball. She's an RA for two of those years. She even worked part-time, and you're wondering, how is a girl able to graduate college in three years while playing college sports and being an RA? And it's one thing, really. In high school, she took dual credit classes, dual credit classes. Dual credit means this, and for those of you parents uh, who are hoping to send your kids someday and have them graduate debt-free, amen, praise the Lord, right? Dual credit AP is the way to go. Dual credit AP is the way to go because while they're still in high school, they can enjoy college blessings. While they're still in high school, they're not in college yet, they can enjoy college classes right now and enjoy college blessings. And that's what kingdom living is. When you submit to Jesus Christ right now, even though we're not in the millennial kingdom yet, we're not in the eternal kingdom yet, you can enjoy kingdom blessings, what I call dual credit blessings right now. Because the kingdom of God is wherever Christ is ruling and reigning. And this leads me to point number two. So point number one is this. Jesus and Paul preached the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God was their vision. The kingdom of God was their vision. They gave their lives to the kingdom of God, to see people submitted to King Jesus in a broken, rebellious world. They wanted to see men and women, boys and girls, churches and communities submitted to Christ. Point number two, when we as believers continually and consistently submit to King Jesus as our king, lives, families, destinies, marriages, communities, churches, nations are transformed both in time and in eternity. Matthew 28 gives God's mission for us. Go make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities. That word disciples, mathetes, means a submitted student. Someone who submitted themselves to a teacher. Someone who submitted themselves to our king, our teacher, Jesus Christ, and is becoming like them. Paul says it this way. Paul says that we are ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors of this kingdom. 
Uh, Colossians 3 says that we live in another realm. Jesus says in John 18, 36, that my kingdom, my world is of another realm, and that's our true home, that we are citizens of this other realm, and we're ambassadors, we're disciples of that realm. My mom passed away a year ago, and I'll share the story one of these other days, but five days before she passed away, she put her faith in Jesus Christ. I've been praying for her for 33 years every day that God would save her. Five days before she passed away, she put her faith in Christ. When she passed away, I had to go to the Japanese embassy. She's a Japanese citizen. I'm a naturalized American citizen. Had to go to the Jap Japanese embassy and um, to, to let them know that she had passed away. And this is what an embassy or consulate is. I went to the consulate here in Houston. An embassy or consulate is a representation of another kingdom. So if you want to know the rules in Japan or what life is like in Japan or the Japanese language or Japanese customs, you go to the consulate and you can learn those things. You can get a little bit of the, a piece of Japan while you're here in America. And that's what God has called the church to be. God has called Bayou City Fellowship, this church. God has called all Christian churches to be embassies. If people want to know what is life like in this kingdom, what is life like in Christ's kingdom, they should be able to come here to see your life and say, ah, okay, you all are ambassadors. You represent another kingdom. If they want to know what does a kingdom marriage look like, they can look at your marriage and see what does a kingdom marriage look like. If they say, what does a kingdom lawyer look like? I know what a worldly lawyer looks like, but what does a kingdom lawyer look like? What does a kingdom teacher look like? What does a kingdom parent look like? What does a kingdom single look like? I know what it looks like out in the world, but what does it look like? They should be able to come to a church, a local church, an assembly of people and say, ah, this is an embassy, a group of people who represent another kingdom. That's what God has called us to be. And again, if we will do that consistently and continually, we can transform and affect our world. Let me give you a vision of what that looks like. Because again, Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world. Colossians 3 says that we represent another realm to set our minds on the things above. Where there is disorder, God's kingdom brings order. Where there is darkness, God's kingdom brings light. Where there is injustice, God's kingdom brings justice. Where there is brokenness, God's kingdom brings restoration. Where there is death, God's kingdom brings life. Where there is hate, God's kingdom brings love. Where there's deception, God's kingdom brings truth. Where there's division, God's kingdom brings reconciliation. Where there's bondage, God's kingdom brings deliverance. Where there's disunity, God's kingdom brings unity. Where there's uniformity, God's kingdom brings diversity. Where there's hopelessness, God's kingdom brings hope. Where there's lack, God's kingdom brings abundance. Where there's pain, God's kingdom brings healing. Where there's bitterness, God's kingdom brings forgiveness. And where there's weakness, God's kingdom brings power. And that's what the kingdom looks like. And that's what we're called to be as embassies, as diplomats, as ambassadors of this other kingdom. So here's the vision based on that vision there. Point number three, we want to see every person vote every day for Jesus Christ as king of their lives. We want to see every person vote every day. I know we're in election season. We vote every four years, but we want to see every person, 7.1 million people in greater Houston, every person vote every day. Jesus Christ is king of my life. He's the Lord. He's the head. He's my president. That's what we want to see because that's what Jesus wanted. That's what Paul wanted. That's what Daniel saw, that every person vote every day for Jesus Christ. And that's why we're radically focused on Jesus, because that's our desire. 
I don't say this. Most of the problems, if not all the problems we see in our world today, the brokenness, the rebellion, the injustice, the pain, the suffering, is this, is because people have the wrong king. People have the wrong king. Their king is either themselves, the world, or the devil. And we know from a spiritual realm, they're still in the kingdom of darkness. And so rather than giving them good works to do, to try to fix their problems, to put a band-aid on their problems, we need to point people to King Jesus. Um, I'm going to pick on Lainey here, since Lainey's like the only kid I know here. Uh, and I'll get to know y'all, and I'm hoping to get to know y'all. Uh, so Lainey is three years old, right? Lainey, are you three? You're three years old? So Joel and Haley's daughter, Lainey. One day, let's say, Lainey comes to my office, knocks on my door, and I said, hey, Lainey, what's going on? And she says, man, I'm tired of my dad. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He, he always be bossing me around and stuff, telling me to clean my room and, you know, do my homework and stuff. And so I'm like, okay, so Lainey, what's the plan? She said, I'm rebelling. Throwing the deuces. I'm going to run my own life. I'm like, okay. Your mom good with that too? I'm tired of my mom too. Like, I, they, they think they run my life and all that. So I'm, I'm out of here. I'm like, oh, okay. So a week later, let's say we're in downtown Houston. We see this three-year-old girl, little Lainey there running around, hair disheveled, clothes all torn up. She's got mud and dirt all over her face. She's hungry. She hadn't eaten for a couple days. Looked like she hadn't slept at all and stuff. Right? Now, now you can see this little girl and go, Lainey, you need to take a bath. Look, girl, you need to take a shower, right? You could offer advice like that. That may help her temporarily, right? You may say, Lady, here's five bucks. Go get you some lunch, right? You look like you haven't eaten. Hey, you know what? I got an extra sleeping bag in my car. Here's a sleeping bag. Go find you a comfortable place and go take a nap. Like, get some rest, right? Or I mean, you may even say, you know what? Hey, if you vote for this guy, he's going to help you out, especially in your condition, right? So make sure to vote for him in a couple days, right? That's the guy to vote for. No, none of us would do that. We wouldn't say, take a bath, take a shower, go get a meal. What we would say is, Laney, you're trying to run your own life. And you see where it's gotten. You're trying to be king of your own life. We would say, go back home. You have someone there who loves you, who will take care of you. Yes, like every king, he's got rules. He's got a set of uh, things that he has you to do. But with that responsibility comes great blessing. And so we would tell her, go back home. And the world that we live in with all the brokenness and pain and suffering is when people say, I don't want God, I'm rebelling to him. We can try to fix it with temporary solutions and bandages. But our mission is to say, you know what? Jesus Christ died so that you could have a relationship with him and he can be your king. You can live life as God meant it to be lived. Go back home. Go back home. Here's a vision of what that may look like. When you have the right king, and here's the thing, if your marriage is jacked up and you're going through problems in your marriage, you can take the most amazing dream vacation, but if Jesus Christ is not your king, that's only a temporary solution. If you have a child and you're not saying, hey, where are they with the Lord? You can send them to counseling and all that, which is a great thing, but it all has to do with Christ as king. When you have the right king, chains are broken. When you have the right king, marriages are restored. When you have the right king, nations are transformed. When you have the right king, families are reconciled. When you have the right king, captives are set free. When you have the right king, addicts are delivered. When you have the right king, churches are revived. It's all about having the right king. You can try to run your own life, but if you submit to Jesus Christ as king, you can enjoy life as God designed it to be lived. Now, here's the thing. If you and I 
will give our lives, our money, our time, our resources. First, to submitting to, to Christ. Every area of your life, your family, your future, your marriage, your singleness, your sexuality, every area of your life to Jesus Christ as King. You will enjoy that life. You will enjoy a relationship with him. And if you will give your life, and I promise you this, I guarantee you this, if you give your life like Paul did, like Jesus did, like the patriarchs did, the missionaries did, if you give your life to the advancement of God's kingdom, both here in Greater Houston and around the world, you will not waste your life. You will not waste your life, both now in this life here, but also in the life to come. And my prayer is that all of us in here well, one day when we're transitioned into glory, would hear those great words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what God's kingdom can do. Now again, I mentioned how God's kingdom does not align with any denomination. It does not back a denomination. It does not back a political party. It does not back a nation because an infinite kingdom cannot back a temporary kingdom. An infinite, timeless kingdom cannot back a kingdom trapped in time. And here's where I saw that illustrated. I've done, uh, so even though I'm no longer an NCAA football chaplain, uh, regularly I get asked. Teams will come play UH or teams will come play Rice and I'll get contacted saying, hey, we need someone to do team chapel. And college football team chapel is basically a pregame rah-rah speech from the Bible. That's what the coach wants. The coach basically wants to win and he has you come in to basically get God to be on our side. When we take the field tomorrow, we want to make sure that God is on our side. And I tell coaches, look, I'm not here to get God on your side. I'll pray for your character, your team. I'll pray that God is glorified in how y'all play. I, I never pray that you will win. I pray uh, that God will keep y'all protected from injury, that you'll play with character and integrity, the coach with integrity as well. But that's how most people see it. They say, pray so and preach so that God will be on our side. And you know what? A lot of churches and denominations are like that as well. Hey, we want God to be on our side. And God says, look, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. And though I saw that was an NBA chapel because I've been doing college chapel, football chapel for so long. The very first time I did NBA chapel, it blew my mind. Last year, I did chapel uh, when the Warriors and Rockets were playing the Western Conference semifinals. I know another nightmare playoffs. And this is what blew my mind. I'm sitting on the visitor side, two hours before the game. I'm inviting the Warriors players and coaches to come. Two hours before tip-off. One hour before tip-off, we're in chapel. We've got about a third of the Warriors team and about a third of the Rockets team and some coaches as well in there. And so here's the thing. In one hour, you guys are battling for a playoff spot in the finals. In one hour, you're going to trade elbows. One hour, you're going to go fight for this last playoff spot in the finals. One hour, you're both battling for the win. In one hour, you're fighting as rivals. But in the NBA chapel, and I think this is how church should be, is that these players who are rivals say, for this 15 minutes of chapel, we're going to be one team because we're submitting to Jesus Christ as our king. Yes, in one hour, we're going to be fighting and elbowing and pushing and shoving, fighting for rebounds. But for this 15 minutes, we're submitting ourselves to the king because this is the kingdom of God. And that's what God has called this church to be. God has called this church to be a visible representation of the kingdom of God. 
And my prayer is that we'll have Republicans and independents and Democrats all come and say, we worship here. Now we may vote different on November 4th, but when we gather as a church, we're submitting to Christ as our King. We may have people here. I see lots of maroon here. I see some burnt orange here. You may say, hey, on Saturday, we may be rivals. But when we gather in community groups and when we're the church, we're submitting to the king. We may have people here who are black, who are white, who are yellow, who are brown, and maybe we live in different communities, have different circles of friends. But we say, when we are a church, we're submitting to the king. Jesus is our king. And that's my prayer for Bayou City, is that we will glorify God by advancing his kingdom. That's how God gets glory. That's how God is made famous. That God will become famous in our world, in our universe, as we advance his kingdom one person at a time. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for... Um, the opportunity that you have given me to be lead pastor of Bayou City Fellowship at Spring Branch and the tremendous grace privilege it is to preach and proclaim your word. God, we want to be faithful to you in the preaching and practicing of your word, both individually and collectively. So I pray now that every area of our lives, our families, our bank accounts, our careers, our children, our future, how we spend our leisure time, how we spend our work time, what we look on the internet, the time we spend with friends, our vacation time, our living rooms, our closets, our bedrooms, our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, God will be submitted to you, God, to Jesus Christ, the King. God, we live in a world that is in rebellion to you. Worldliness or the world is a system that seeks to live independently of you. And God, we are still with flesh. The flesh and the spirit are at war. We still have an immaterial portion of us that tries to live independently of you. So master, this thing called submission to the king is not natural. So God, we pray that you would supernaturally move through your spirit to cause us to submit every area of life, every nook and cranny of our lives to you. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. Uh, if there is a portion of your life, if you say like I think all of us will say, my life is not consistently and constantly submitted to Jesus. Uh, our prayer team is normally here, but because of COVID, we're not uh, able to do that. But if you say, hey, I need prayer. There's an area in my life my marriage is not submitted. My finances, my future aren't submitted. My singleness is not submitted to the King. When I look at the internet is not submitted to the King. I want to pray for you. So if you just, again, no shame in this. If you just stand right where you are, and I want to pray for you because we don't have our prayer team. So right where you are, if you just stand, thank you for standing. Thank you. If you're courageous enough saying, thank you for standing. And right where you are, just silently say, Lord, I submit it to you. I submit that to you as king. Whatever area. And maybe you're sitting there right now holding your children and maybe you're saying, Lord, I submit my child to you. I submit my life to you.
I want to advance the kingdom. God, I pray for these who are standing here this morning. God, I'm grateful for their courage to be willing to stand. I pray that whatever area of life or areas of their life that are not submitted to you as king over their lives, God, that moment by moment, day by day, every day they would vote Jesus Christ as king, as president over their lives. In every area of your life, that they would run and hunger and thirst for you and your word to say, what does the king say about this? What does the king say about my marriage? What does the king say about my money? What does the king say about what I see on the internet? What does the king say about how I treat my coworkers? What does the king say about how I treat people in my community? What does the king say about gossip? What does the king say about slander? God, would you give us that hunger and desire? God, we don't want to admire the king from afar. We don't want to be in the upper deck, the middle seats, saying that we saw the king on Sunday or we saw the king in our devotions. God, we want to touch the king. We want to walk with the king. We want to talk with the king. We want to be aware of your presence constantly, daily, regularly. Not just when we're here gathered to worship. God, I do pray also today for those who have yet to put their faith in Christ, who are still in rebellion to you, even if they may not feel like it, God, even if they may not feel and know that they're in the kingdom of darkness, that today would be the day they simply place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his free offer, his free gift of salvation, forgiveness for their sins, past, present, and future, that they can now enter a reconciled relationship with you and thus say to you, Lord, King, Rule over my life. I pray that today and ask it. Thank you, God, again, for our opportunity to gather together on this ninth anniversary, this ninth birthday at Bayou City Fellowship. God, thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for using us. God, I pray that this church would, uh, as it's been in the past nine years, it's been an embassy. It's been a consulate. It's been a representation of what does the kingdom look like? It's been a place where people can say, these folks are radically focused on Jesus. These folks are submitted to King Jesus. But God, I pray that you continue to sanctify, reform, transform us day by day, both as a church, but also individually, to submit to Jesus Christ as King, to be that embassy, to be that consulate, to represent another kingdom, another realm, so that hurting, broken, angry, pained, afflicted, dysfunctional people, marred people, marred marriages, teenagers, boys and girls, men and women, young and old, Republican and Democrat, black and white, yellow and brown, would come and say, this is an embassy, this is an outpost of another realm. This is what heaven must be like. This is what the rule, the kingdom must look like. This is what genuine love must feel like. This is strange to experience grace. This is strange to experience mercy. God, would we be that place because God, that is your vision for this church, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ.